Welcome to the podcast of The Plague Year. I'm your host, Terry Shoemaker. Podcast for The Plague Year is a deeper dive into contributions made to the Journal of The Plague Year, a project of Arizona State University. Available online, the archive allows anyone to submit artifacts regarding life during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mining the many photos, videos, reflections, and other submissions to the archive, this podcast, Podcast of the Plague Year, selects some interesting topics and explores the world of the pandemic life. Join us as we journey across the world to see how the pandemic has influenced the daily lives of people everywhere. Thanks for tuning in again to the Podcast of the Plague Year. This episode is the second part of a previous podcast. Last time, we focused our attention on the Book of Revelation and the Apocalypse. Indeed, Americans remain fascinated with the the end-of-the-world ideologies. This week, my co-host is Rosie Mace, an undergraduate student at Arizona State University. Rosie and I speak with Lynn Huber, a New Testament scholar at Elon University. In this episode, we explore the term apocalypse and why specific subgroups in the United States give their energy to decoding apocalyptic literature. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm joined today with a co-host, Rosie Mace, uh, who is an undergraduate student at Arizona State University. Rosie, you want to say hi? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Rosie. I am an undergraduate at Arizona State University. I am in the business school, but I am definitely interested in religion and apocalyptic awareness and behavior and everything having to do with it. And we are so excited today uh, to interview Professor Lynn Huber, who is the Maud Sharp Powell Professor of Religious Studies at Elon University. Professor Huber, thanks so much for joining us. Great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Just to start, and I know that the apocalyptic notions and ideas have this really rich history uh, and is, is really kind of complex, but I'm hoping that just to start us off, you can kind of give us a simple introduction to what we mean when we talk about the apocalypse. Yeah, um, I'm happy to. So the word apocalypse the reason we sort of associate it with apocalyptic events is because, or events we call apocalyptic is because it's the first word of the book that's also called revelation or the book of revelation, the final, final book in the Christian scripture, if you will. And so the first word of that book is apocalypse, which literally means unveiling, um, taking a veil off. And, that word then becomes a way of describing a whole genre of literature that has to do with like end times and judgment and of the sort of the events leading up to it, most of which are kind of cataclysmic. So in popular parlance, apocalypse has become really a shorthand way of saying like the end of the world. And again, like all of those sort of events that are associated with the end, even though initially it really meant sort of just bringing something to sight for the first time. And so uh, you referenced already the, the book of Revelation. How is the that particular book, and I know there's others, old, other Old Testament uh, or, or Hebrew Bible books that are often referenced when partic- particular groups in the United States are talking about the apocalypse. Uh, but what's kind of the role, I guess, of those books in thinking about what the end of the world or this unveiling looks like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess, first of all, I should also say that sometimes the book of Revelation is called the apocalypse. So um, as somebody who studies the Bible, I sometimes 
use that term to describe the book. So it can kind of be confusing, right? Because it's a book title, but it's also used to describe this kind of event or series of events. Getting to your question, the book of Revelation, it does like, it's part of this genre of literature, um, again, often about judgment and the end. And a lot of these books are sort of read together to sort of create a portrait of what end times might might look like. Um, and it's it, that's primarily done by sort of modern Christian interpreters. They're sort of the ones who've, who've taken this literature and really kind of read it as a blueprint for sort of the coming end. The use of these books um, to talk about current and forthcoming events um, has been going on for a long time. So, I mean, already sort of in, you know, the third and fourth centuries, we see people using, reading these texts as a way of thinking about um, their current state. And then really, like in the 1100s, we see this sort of happening a little bit more intentionally, where we see sort of a lining up of the book of Revelation in particular with uh, historical events and historical leaders often. And so it's it's something that people have been doing a long time. And people seem to have found in the text a lot of, I mean, they find a lot of rich material for understanding their, their sort of own experience in their own times. When we're talking about this kind of um, what you just referenced, there's like these historical moments where the book of Revelation, the symbols within that book, even kind of the power of reading that book and thinking about what's coming next, so to speak, or that book providing some sort of insight into the world that people live in at that moment. Are there are there particular moments, I guess, in history where uh, there seems to be an increased trend of people really interested in thinking about these things? Yeah, I mean, it seems to it seems to go in waves, and a lot of times people wonder if you know it's around particular years, and you know, a lot of times it's the events, right? So people reading things like the Black Plague, for instance, of Europe, and reading that those particular events, and seeing how they align with the text, the sort of I think focus on dates and the book has become really popular in sort of the modern time period in sort of English and then um, U.S. interpretation. I think evangelical Christianity in the United States is really in particular to sort of the place where we see a lot of this happening, where people are really sort of mining the text for specific dates, really kind of reading the book uh, of Revelation along with other texts as a map. And I should say, people put Revelation alongside of Daniel, like you mentioned, Ezekiel, and things like First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians in particular, because Paul talks about like Christ coming back and people being taken up, uh, a thing that um, modern evangelicals talk about as the rapture. And that's not in the book of Revelation um, explicitly, but sort of through this reading of text together, um, the sort of end time scenario is developed. Am, am I correct that 
it, it's not just white evan- conservative Christians uh, or white evangelicals that are doing this, but it does seem like white evangelicals have a huge emphasis on this and have had this for the last century or something. Why is it, do you think, that particularly white evangelicals have emphasized being able to mine the text and, and be, being able to kind of figure out the future of particularly their world? Wow, that's a really good question and a really hard question to answer. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. I think one of the reasons is there's really this sort of focus on the individual in white evangelical Christianity and sort of individual access to knowing the divine and being able to interpret these texts. So, I mean, so in some, in some sense, there's this real kind of fascination, I think, in apocalyptic circles about just even like the code breaking that happens in these texts, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like, you know, playing a, a, a game of some sort. Um, and it becomes really about like who has the right answer. And I think that kind of individualism um, that is part of that tradition kind of spurs that on. And also, I mean, also in terms of individualism, there is this sense in these white evangelical apocalyptic thinking, this sense that it's kind of about personal sin and the need for individuals to repent. And there's like going to be this event in which, you know, all of those who have not sort of repented or kind of lived in the way you know, sort of that version of Christianity sees fit are either going to be, you know, you know, end up in hell or end up in heaven. And so I think there's this real kind of this individualism where other forms of Christianity maybe are more interested in using revelation as a way of talking about how it uncovers political and systemic oppressions. So I think that that's one of the things going on. And one of the reasons why, like, you know, sort of we see kind of differences in how the text is interpreted. I really like the first thing you talk about. It sounds like um, almost a a fun religious CSI detective kind of mining of that text of looking for clues and who can figure it out first. You know, uh, it's a really interesting way to think about that. Yeah, actually, really quick, I'd like to add on to what Lynn was saying about it being a big game, when I wasn't taking this class with Professor Schumacher, I was, uh, I made like a fake Facebook account where I joined all of these groups and like these religious groups, apocalyptic groups, um, you know, Revelation, Rapture, all of these things, just to kind of get an inside look of what these people were actually thinking and saying. And I totally agree with you in the sense that these people kind of view it as a game and a competition and they almost fall victim to a type of tunnel vision almost, where it becomes very uh, individualized and self-centered rather than focusing on like a human population as a whole, if that makes sense. Right. And uh, yeah, I think I, that's that's great. And I love that you did that. Um, I think, I, I guess the one thing I would also like add to that is that it's a game, but it's a game, but with like eternal consequences, right? It's a game, but it's not a game. It's It's a puzzle and it's a mystery to be solved because and it has like life or death consequences and so that's part of the motivation right and I will say I grew up in that kind of context I grew up in an evangelical church out in Portland Oregon so I grew up with that and have some sort of appreciation for that because that 
shaped me or I mean I recognize that in myself there was that kind of interest in in knowing and being able to kind of figure things out and knowing the right answer you know having that kind of like secret knowledge um, but it also came with like responsibility I remember as a kid like feeling like if I knew this information if I knew in my case that the Christ was going to return in 1988, I should, you know, tell my friends and things like that. But I was also then, you know, as a teenager, a little too, uh, I wasn't faithful enough to actually like witness to that because I thought it was also like, you know, I don't want to look like a nut, you know, so it was like this conundrum. So if, if, if the rapture happened, I obviously wasn't taken and probably for good reason because I wasn't willing to, you know. <laughs> To, to proselytize. Yeah. So I, I grew up uh, like you, Lynn, I grew up in, well, I grew in a quite different context of South Central Kentucky, where I, I feel like this might have permeated a bit more than in Oregon. Although I know Oregon has some, uh, some areas as well that are quite dominated with these ideas, particularly the idea of the rapture. Uh, you know, uh, there's always that thought that if you were to come home and no one was in the house, your first thought was, did I miss it? even just for an instance, right? Like, did, did I miss something? Um, and then what, if I, if I did miss it, what did I do to not be able to make that group that got to leave this planet? Almost an existential playfulness in trying to decode the Bible. Um, and it's not just, yeah, right? I mean, when we talk about decoding, we talk about apocalypse. I mean, this is all in American popular culture. I, you know, I, I'm, reminded of not only things like the Da Vinci Code and those Tom Hanks movies that that followed that, but I'm also thinking about the American interest in zombies. Um, I mean, when we talk about it, it's not simply an evangelical Christian religious thing. There does seem to be an American fascination with the apocalypse, some sort of unveiling, a sort of decoding or some sort of end of the world. Any thoughts you have on the, on the American fascination with this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, it, when you were talking about that, it just made me think about like sort of the fascination with not necessarily prepping, but, you know, sort of even like the movement towards like, you know, living in your van and things like that and being able to pr be the person who can hack things, right? Like you can figure out how to how to live in this van and, you know, be completely self-sufficient. It's, I mean, on one hand, it's like also part of this sort of quote unquote American dream, right? The sort of white European, like we're going to go and we're going to figure it out and conquer things attitude. I mean, that is really individualistic and confident in the individual's ability to, you know, face down the unknown and to make sense of it and to, to conquer it in a way. You know, I think we can agree here that this idea of like the end of the world, apocalypse, everything, preparation, it seems to be pretty uniquely American in that way, which I think is really interesting. But Lynn, can you kind of expand on how that's this American idea has infiltrated other countries? Because I know that it's it's gotten bigger in other countries, like it's spreading this idea of the end of the world and preparing for it. Do you see it expanding to other countries? And if so, how does America influence that, if that makes sense? You know, that's something I don't really know that much about. I, I don't know a lot about how we've exported sort of our apocalypticism. I mean, I'm hearing more about that as we hear about like, you know, like ideas like QAnon being exported. 
but I can imagine that we do, right? I am more familiar with, like some of my work touches on how, like in Europe in particular, we see like in medieval mystics, right? How they sort of engage in apocalyptic thinking, but it's very different. It's less kind of focused on this sort of puzzly, individualistic type of interpretation, but it is nonetheless still powerful. And often apocalyptic then becomes a way of critiquing, for instance, the church or local government officials and things like that. So yeah, so we're going through a lot of changes right now in the world, in the country, everything. Do you think or see a heightened sense of panic in regard to the apocalypse in times of COVID? And obviously we see you know, just kind of general subconscious things, you know, things as small as hoarding toilet paper (laughs) and preparing in that way. But um, as far as the actual end of the world and apocalyptic preparation behavior goes, do you see or did you see a spike in that once COVID became a big thing? I I did see it. Uh, I saw saw it some, Um, but not maybe as much as I, I thought I would. I thought I would definitely see it more pronounced among like evangelical Christian friends but was a little surprised by where I wasn't seeing it. I was also really surprised by sort of the lack of apocalyptic thinking around like Donald Trump. I mean, there is some, right? There are, you know, there's actually, I'm seeing a lot, there's a lot more recently now around the election than I think there was initially around COVID, if that makes sense. So, I mean, there's been a lot of things in the past, you know, since the election and around Donald Trump's like disputing the the legitimacy of the election um, that have been really sort of apocalyptic, sort of pronouncing him as kind of God's chosen savior, right? And sort of anticipating that on the 20th, you know, things were going, that something was going to happen to, you know, to, to ensure that he stayed in power because he was God's chosen. So I'm seeing more around that and less maybe around kind of the pandemic itself, which I I thought was interesting. And maybe it's because I'm not looking in the right places, but I was surprised that there wasn't sort of more. I was surprised that there weren't more sort of explicit connections to like some of the imagery in the book of Revelation or the apocalypse. Yeah, that is really interesting. Do you think that in some ways the Trump administration and specifically Donald Trump recognized some sort of really, really important role for uh, evangelicals and in some ways empowered evangelicals during the, the last four years. And therefore, there was a level of certainty and confidence for evangelicals that didn't somehow result in apocalyptic thinking. And now that Trump has been voted out, Biden is inaugurated and starting his term, what, what, do, you, do you think that might lead further levels of uncertainty and disempowerment from an evangelical mindset, and therefore they may return back to some sort of apocalyptic tendencies? You know, I don't know, but I like that theory a lot. I mean, that would seem to make sense, right? Because when sort of COVID hit and Trump seems like, you know, he's God's man in power, like there wasn't sort of that kind of apocalyptic necessarily thinking. I mean, there was panicked thinking, right? About like, you know, lack of goods and things like that. But it wasn't necessarily like we're, you know, on the edge of Christ's return. But yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, once his sort of role becomes challenged, that's when I think there seemed to be an uptick in that. And that's, you know, that's my sort of unscientific 
interpretation of what I see on the, on, you know, the internet. But now people are rethinking, right? Like, so people are talking about like sort of apocalyptic thinkers recently, like one mega pastor, I can't remember his name, but he's kind of focused here in the the Southeast, you know, wrote sort of an apology, a recanting of his sort of prophecies related to Donald Trump saying that, you know, he was wrong because, yeah, because Trump didn't succeed. So clearly maybe God's favor has been taken away from Trump or, you know, or maybe they were actually mistaken. So we're seeing kind of in real time people adjusting their thinking about prophecy We've been talking uh, now going on right over 25 minutes, and I don't want to keep you much longer. This has actually been a fascinating conversation. And uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, and giving us some insight into apocalyptic thinking into uh, in, a, in America historically and, and thinking about contemporary politics. Great. Thank you for having me. It's fun. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Professor Huber. Thanks to Rosie for co-hosting with me today and to Lynn for the terrific conversation. Although our last two podcasts focused on more dire outlooks on the future, our wish is that our listeners would find hope and safety as vaccination efforts continue in the United States. As always, be well. Many thanks to our guest in this episode, Lynn Huber. This episode was hosted by Terry Shoemaker, produced and edited by Amelia Michelson, graphic designed by Carson Shoemaker, and administered by Eli Tabot. This podcast for the Plague Year is a compliment to the Journal for the Plague Year, a project of Catherine O'Donnell and Mark Tabot, both faculty at Arizona State University's School for Historical, Philosophical, and Religious Studies.